great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. Yeah, I was discovered with stomach cancer in January after coming back for the World Junior Hockey Championship. I kind of knew the last five days that something was not right. Got back, trying to wait it out a little bit, and uh, I had an ulcer on top of the tumor. And uh, so now, uh, now we're trying to find a way to beat it back a little bit. But to do that, I had to have my stomach removed, the whole thing. And a lot of people said, they can do that? Yeah, they can, but it changes the way you have to eat, changes the way you have to live. But you know what? I want to live, so I'll do the changes. And uh, I'm still in recovery. Had my surgery in March. Uh, would like to get back into the podcast business by the end of the summer or uh, September for sure. But uh, health-wise, it's funny. I feel really good. But there's times when I know I'm not. And there's times when I have to remind myself that I am fighting cancer. It's not a good one. Uh, the prognosis right now is okay. But it all, you know, the one thing my doctor told me is that if we can prolong your life another three to five years, the way cancer is moving along in terms of research, in the three to five years, we could find a cure for what you're dealing with. <laughs> Hello there and welcome to Sports and More, episode 49, where almost anything goes. My name is Dean Millard. That was the voice of longtime Edmonton broadcaster Bryn Griffiths. And I love that outlook that him and his doctor have facing stomach cancer, that prolong your life long enough nowadays uh, to extend the cancer and maybe find a cure. Uh, for so long, I've always looked at cancer as life or death. My mom died from it. My wife has beat it twice. That's how I've always defined cancer. Never thinking about it that, hey, if you can ling live long enough, the amount of research that is being done, particularly with cannabis now legal in Canada, let me point out, there could be a cure down the road in whatever medical field. So uh, I, I love this conversation that I had with Bryn today. He was a big, big help in my uh, broadcast career when I was in Edmonton. Um, you know, when I was on TV at Global and started doing the Pipeline Show with Guy, Bryn really helped us out. Uh, he actually did air checks with us, and it was great. Unlike the air check that I was told I was getting and then was laid off because of cutbacks he actually did air checks with us and really helped out uh, our show and um, has been a guy that i've uh, went to for advice over the years so we're going to talk about his fight with stomach cancer he has had a fascinating career he once ordered pizza while doing play-by-play -play, uh, during the game and we're going to chat about the oilers and the hawks playoffs uh, the nhl in general our top three topic today is cup clinching games a number of uh, Stanley Cups were won on this day, this being June 9th when I'm recording this. So I want to know what your top three cup-clinching games are. And our uh, question of the day, uh, both of those, by the way, sponsored by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. Big news on them in uh, just one second. But our question of the day is, what is the better movie martial artist? Who is the better movie martial artist? Pardon me. 
Bloodsport came out on this day in uh, 88 in Germany. So Van Damme or Seagal, that's our question of the day. You can vote on that at Duck Millard. And I'm debuting a new segment. It's called Perfect Player, where you take three players, combine them into one. This th- Today we're doing Edmonton Oiler defensemen. So take three Oiler defensemen's, uh, defensemen that you think would make up the perfect player. So that's what we got going on. Uh, we start with the weekly tribute. Uh, it's my dad this week. It was his birthday on uh, Saturday. And, uh, you know, like uh, like most of people my age, they're, they're uh, parents. And I, unfortunately, I just have one um, as my mom passed away. But uh, they're, they're at that stage where, you know, things are just not tickety-boo as they used to be. And um, I just uh, I, I take uh, great comfort every time I'm able to talk to my dad who still is back in, in Brandon. I hope to be able to get back to see him this summer. It seems like things are going well among COVID-19 and and some of the, the quarantine restrictions in Manitoba will be lifted. But it was his birthday. Uh, he passed on his love of Westerns and wildlife uh, with me. Uh, some of my best memories of my dad are riding in the car through Riding Mountain National Park in Manitoba on the way back from hockey games in Dauphin where my brother was trying out and and seeing all the wildlife. So uh, the weekly tribute is my dad. Happy birthday, Jim, uh, celebrated on Saturday. All right, let's get to our top three, which is brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. They have the coolest thing going on right now. Uh, they are taking the remaining teams that are not owned and they are putting them into a draft. And any team that was purchased without being drafted or any owner that wants to throw their team back and redraft can do that right now. But it is time sensitive. There are only five franchises left, and this is the most realistic. There's only 31 franchises available. You have a 23-man roster. You have a 27-player reserve lift. They have a scouting program. This is the most realistic fantasy game you will find. It is detailed galore. And there are five spots left to get in on uh, the redraft with uh, right now, I believe there's 10 franchises that will be uh, available to draft from in this process. So if you want to get in, you have to make a bid. And to do that, here's the website, www.airauctioneer.com slash UFF sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction if you didn't get it all just skip back and you'll get it it is amazing like i said only five franchises are available on this platform and it's the most realistic you deal with cryptocurrency you can buy and sell players as part of trades there's a really unique playoff system really unique draft system where you get the next wave of prospects they really do have it all. But as mentioned, only five franchises available. So go ahead, make your bid at airauctioneer.com. Uh, and once you have your your, uh, your account signed up and you make a bid, if you are outbid, you'll be notified and the bidding process will close this Sunday. These franchises will not be available like this at any other time. Any other time you want to get into this league from now on after this, you will have to buy a franchise from an owner, and these franchises are going to go up in value, especially when we're talking about cryptocurrency, which is basically, it's I think of it as PayPal. You insert your money into this um, digital world, and you use score tokens in, as part of this game. 
brilliant, brilliant concept. I'm uh, thrilled to be a part of it. I actually just won their online sim on EA Sports. I won the Stanley Cup. So I won some cash out of that, and I hope to win some cash when the NHL gets their playoffs back going again. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun for sure. Can you dig it? I can. I, I really can dig this platform. Can you dig it? <laughs> All right, let's get to our top three topic. It is cup clinching games. And uh, I want to know your uh, top three cup clinching games as uh, I think four of them on this day were clinched. And one of them is in uh, my top three. Uh, so uh, the four, um, let me just pull this up here. The, uh, the four that were clinched on this day uh, the Avalanche, or the Habs and the Kings in 93, uh, the Avs Devils, 01, Devils Ducks, 03, and Hawks Flyers, I believe that was 2010. So my honorable mention, the 04 Bolts over the Flames. I just can't get behind Calgary uh, winning. And plus, I spent a lot of time in Calgary. My buddy was uh, living right off 17th Ave. So uh, we spent a lot of time hanging out on whatever the Red Mile was or whatever it was called. So that was my favorite. Plus, it denied Calgary of getting a Stanley Cup. Number three for me, the 2018 Stanley Cup champion, Washington Capitals. And particularly because the... Uh, um, the uh, celebration, uh, but I just love that the Capitals uh, finally got it done and uh, the ovation and the elation that built uh, during that one. Um, so that was more of like a celebration overall, not so much as the game. Uh, but the uh, number two for me was the 01 Avs over the Devils. And on this day, it happened. And first of all, it was Ray Bork getting a cup. But secondly, my buddy Mike Temple was getting married in Dauphin, Manitoba. And we had done the reception and I don't know if I had to do some speeches or not, but we had had a rough week. Uh, physically, uh, was, was a rough week for the boys. Uh, anyway, we were all crowded in this room. And I think my buddy's, uh, dad, Jeff, uh, Jim, my buddy, Jeff's dad, Jim Oga was there with us. Like the dads were crowded in this room watching on this black and white TV as the avalanche one. I don't remember anything about the game because I was during the wedding, but I remember the celebration and watching Ray Bork get his cup. So that's a, that's kind of a personal one for me. And number one is the 87 Oilers over Flyers game seven. That series was crazy, nasty. It was so good. Um, might be the, my favorite, uh, 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 Stanley Cup final game ever. Probably my favorite game seven uh, is the uh, um, Easter epic. I think that was game seven anyway. Just did that with Kelly Rudy. But anyway, 87 Oilers Flyers, my number one cup clincher. So uh, hit me up on Twitter at Duck Millard and uh, let me know what your top three cup clinching games are. And you can get more details about uh, finding your team in the UFFS at www.uffs or www.uffsports.com. I will get it right eventually. Uh, by the way, on Podcast Alley, we'll have one-timers with Bryn Griffiths a little bit later this week. Uh, Joey Zanaboni, a really cool play-by-play -play guy who also in this time of uh, racial equality stood up to racism at one point and it actually cost him a lot. But he stood up to it and he's building his career back up from that. And he's doing it in such a unique way. So that's on the Prospects Baseball Show. You can check that out 
uh, and then we'll uh, we're we're uh, hoping to have a a local cannabis shop on the cannabis one on one podcast. Not one hundred percent sure on that yet, but all of that can be found at podcastalley.ca. All right, Bryn Griffiths on the other side of the bio. Time for the bio. Bryn Griffiths was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta, graduating high school from Harry Ainley. After a few years off post-graduation, he began volunteering at QCTV and in the early 80s started volunteering at CJSR, Campus Radio, for the University of Alberta, and a year later became sports director. He was hired to do Moose Jaw Warriors play-by-play, which he did for almost five years, before coming back to Edmonton at K97 in 1989. A chance to be the color analyst with Kurt Keelback in Winnipeg for the Jets came calling in the early 90s, and he took it before coming back home and working at CJCA, Kissin, and Videotron before he landed with the Oilers for five years working in media relations. After a one-year stint with CTV, he walked across the hallway and started up what is now TSN 1260. He was the head man for Team 1260 for eight years before an ownership change took place. He went south to Calgary on the Fan 960 where he did afternoons and Flames pre and post games, but Edmonton beckoned once again and he joined Newcap Radio doing sales and on air. He found a tumor on his kidney and had it removed two months later, recovered for a year and started podcasting only to discover a tumor in his stomach one year into his podcast journey. He's currently fighting stomach cancer and winning. Bryn, it is uh, wonderful to catch up with you again. Um, I, I guess let's start with... Uh, just, just a health update for you because uh, you, like many others, are fighting the good fight against cancer right now. Yeah, I was discovered with stomach cancer in January after coming back for the World Junior Hockey Championship. I kind of knew the last five days that something was not right. Got back trying to wait it out a little bit and uh, I had an ulcer on top of the tumor. And uh, so now, uh, now we're trying to find a way to beat it back a little bit. But to do that, I had to have my stomach removed, the whole thing. And a lot of people said they can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can, but it changes the way you have to eat, changes the way you have to live. But you know what? I want to live, so I'll do the changes. Yeah. And uh, I'm still in recovery. Had my surgery in March. Uh, would like to get back into the podcast business by the end of the summer or uh, September for sure. But uh, health-wise... It's funny, I feel really good, but there's times when I know I'm not, and there's times when I have to remind myself that I am fighting cancer. It's not a good one. Uh, the prognosis right now is okay, but it all, you know, the one thing my doctor told me is that if we can prolong your life another three to five years, the way cancer is moving along in terms of research, in the three to five years, we could find a cure for what you're dealing with. And uh, we, I've heard that from friends who've got cancer that they were given a short span of time. And because of the way technology is working, they have been able to extend it another three to four or five years. So 
I'm not worried about that. I'm a baby steps, day to day kind of guy. So that's how I'm taking it right now. Well, that's uh, it's it's such a good attitude to have, uh, and it's such a good outlook to, uh, from a patient and doctor perspective as well, because it certainly gives you something to strive for and and to reach for, and um, you know to to get to that uh, three to five years and hopefully find that. And um, you know, listen. W- w- Cancer patients uh, are resilient. Uh, my mom was one. Uh, unfortunately, she didn't uh, defeat the battle, but my wife has twice. And uh, I know how much positivity and an attitude really does mean it. Like people, people might slough off positivity and and a, and a good mindset, but it goes hand in hand uh, with helping your physical therapy. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I also surround myself with great friends. Uh, a few of them are dealing with cancer. You know, John Sexsmith has been fantastic and great to uh, talk to every couple of weeks. Uh, I, you know, in the media business, we don't uh, talk to a lot of people uh, personally one to one a lot. But um, I got a nice contact from uh, our good friend Darren Drager. This is before I started my surgery, and Darren said. Uh, I want to know if you'd be interested in talking to somebody who's going through exactly what you're going through, uh, but he's about six months ahead of you. I said, sure. Uh, who, who, you know, who am I talking to? He said, I'm going to get Dale Howarchuk to call you. Hmm. Wow. And so uh, I said, yeah, great. Let's do it. Uh, I was not supposed to tell anybody, but it's hard not to talk about it because Dale gave me almost an hour and we talked and talked and talked and talked. Talked a little Winnipeg, talked a little Jets. Mostly we talked about stomach cancer. Uh, he uh, warned me there's some dark tunnels you're going to go through. And the, the dark, I don't think there's a darker time in my life than going from the surgery to getting out of the hospital. And during uh, about a good chunk to two and a half to three weeks of that, I developed a lung infection. So I was on a breathing apparatus to help me get rid of it. And I was very touch and go. But the, the reason why it was dark was because in 19, I couldn't have any family members with me in the hospital. So I had to fight it on my own and keep hearing from the nurses that well, you know, one of the three at home phoned to say that they, they love me very much. And uh, I'm you know, trying not to get emotional over this, but uh, that means an awful lot. It, and uh, it just, it was, it was, that's a tough go. I can't see it. Everybody tells me about chemo and radiation, which is to come, but I don't think it'll ever be any any worse than the uh, the, the two two months I was in hospital. Mm-hmm. Well, I just can't see it being any worse than that. Don't ever worry about getting emotional uh, when you're dealing with life and death. Uh, that is what emotion is all about. So pandemic life for you was much different than for for a lot of people for you know for you know we have to be careful with uh my wife uh, uh as far as uh, being careful but also with her parents uh, but not as careful as you have to be uh and have had to been uh, during this thing so what has pandemic life been on top of fighting cancer well the moment i realized i was gonna have to have surgery i went into a household isolation for probably about 24 days. Then went right to the hospital. Felt really safe in the hospital because they're watching everything, right? Right. It's the outside world you gotta worry about. So I went into a zone in the hospital where I never worried about it at all. So what? now that we've come out, two things. One, I can't drive. 
that's a crusher for me. And two, I'm just not putting myself into public situations where I have to worry too much about it right now. I got other issues for me personally, and that is to make sure that I look after myself. And uh, so it's uh, the pandemic world for me has been, it's been, I've been aware of it, but it's been kind of way over there. But, the, and that's what you have to do. And, and, you know, pe- people are concerned about hospitals, but uh, as you can attest well, I to, wasn't. no, no, but the, there's general public, you know, my, Trish had to go to an emergency room uh, a while back and her doctor was concerned just because, you know, you just w- you want to be really careful, but from your experience, um, you know, and, and from what I read on social media, from your experience, it was one of the more safest places to be for, especially for your situation. Yeah, and also uh, the funny thing about ERs is that there's the, the big room right. where everybody waits for hours, and then you go behind what I call the, the safe doors. Mm-hmm. Once you get into that back area, I, I everything that's out there is out there. Uh, and it, you know, I, it, I guess the other thing too about the environment is uh, I was I really decided I, I had a little uh, spot on my kidney two years earlier, and I had my right kidney removed. The cancerous, uh, really tiny cancerous tumor. Uh, that was an easy fix, but I went public with it because when you're on the radio, TV for like almost thirty years, and I ran into somebody at the U of A hospital, and and the next thing you know, three other people said, "I heard you were in hospital yesterday." I decided, you know what, right. I got to go public with this. I want people to hear it from me. Now, with this whole episode with the stomach cancer, the updates have been. Twofold. One, I'm getting my story out the way I want it. Mm-hmm. One of the things I always learned and pushed a little bit when I worked at the Oilers for my five years was uh, you're better off getting ahead of the story than trying to put out fires. So I decided that I was going to share my experience on both Twitter and Facebook, mostly Facebook. And I'm not sorry that I've done it. And I think the other thing you realize is you realize where your support's coming from, and it's everywhere. Well, for sure. And, and, and I think, uh, what, you know, it's, uh, it's when, when you have a, some sort of platform or, or some sort of public figure and you can tell a story that helps somebody else. Well, why wouldn't you, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's the way I feel with mental health. And, and there's a lot of other people that are like that. And, um, th- there, there are things that, uh, you are experiencing that somebody else is going to experience just like Dale Howarchuk has experienced. And if you can pass on some information that might give somebody some help, then why wouldn't you? I think that's a, it's a, we, you know, when, when Trish was going through her cancers, we had a, you know, a website back then there wasn't the, the social media, but we just set up a website and would just put updates up there. And you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier that way than you replying to 50 text messages or whatever, or a hundred text messages. Right. And the other thing too, it gives you something to do. Yeah. It's a constructive way of distracting from what's going on around the world right now. And as much as I've been watching what's been happening in the U.S., I'm not getting wound up about it because I have my own problems. Right. The other thing, too, Canada has its own problems. Who am I to tell my friend who's living in someplace in the U.S. how to run their own country? Am I dismayed? Am I disgusted? Yeah, I am. But it's been there for a long time. I hope they get it figured out. I really do. I'm hoping and praying, and I'm not a big uh, God guy, but I'm hoping they're able to get things solved. Mm -hmm. I hope we can figure out how to handle things better. Uh, It still bothers me. There's some Aboriginal, not Aboriginal, but First Nations people 
in Canada that are living without clean drinking water. Right. And that's, and from a, like I said, I don't want to get too political here. That problem was a conservative problem. It's now a liberal problem. It's not solved. We're not getting anything done here. None of these parties, they're all the same at the mm. end of the day. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, uh, I'm just trying to focus right now on me. I'm not trying to get into political, too much political discussions with too, too many other people, because what I'm watching in the U.S. is really appalling. But then I look once in a while up to what we do here. We're just quieter. Right. We're yeah. appalling in, in a quieter way. We, we certainly have our own uh, racism problems uh, in here. Historically, uh, they, I, you know, they've been directed at indigenous and, and, and I would say Asian, uh, the Asian population with, uh, you know, the, the railroads and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, we, I don't think we have the uh, uh, police violence uh, like we saw that kind of exploded this, uh, that sort of problem. But certainly there is uh, issues that we have to take care of in our own backyard. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, too, it takes a lot of voices for change. Mm -hmm. One voice is, and my voice comes and goes right now, because as I said, my life issues right now are are definitely greater to me right now. I'm watching what's going on. But like I said, I don't like what's going on. I don't like what's going on in Canada. And I uh, am disgusted by what I'm watching in the U.S. Well, So that's kind of where I'm sitting. Soon you'll be able to watch some hockey as uh, we know the NHL is returning. We don't know where we don't know when, but we know who, Uh, first of all, what is your thought process on them trying to get this season finished? It's obviously going to impact next season and have a bit of a ripple effect. So you don't know how long uh, it's going to take these guys to, uh, to get back into, you know, to, to be able to get some rest after this, this part. And then the following season, What's your thought process on them trying to finish and hand out a Stanley Cup? Well, uh, it, it wouldn't bother me. I don't think it is going to be a Canadian hub. I, I just think right now we're dragging our feet like we seem to be doing a lot in Ottawa these days where parties aren't even back in the House of Commons, right? I'd like some consensus on this, not just uh, not just the reigning government's consensus. I'm not sure we're going to open up that border in time to have a Canadian city even be a hub city. So I'm right now thinking it's going to be a U.S.-based event. And uh, I'm at the point where, you know, our good friend Bob Stoffer, he and I used to talk a lot about how, well, he credits me for saying this, and I'm sure I heard it from somebody else. Sports is the toy department of life. Yep. And so right now I don't feel like playing with toys. If they decide to bring the toy box out to me in August or September, I'll open it up and I'll take a look at it. But I'm seeing people do line matchups now for the start of it, and I'm going, I am not, I, well, one, physically and emotionally with my condition, I'm, uh, I don't, I'm not ready for that. I don't really care who's playing with Connor McDavid in September. I'll worry about that in September. I'm a day-by-day guy now, Dean. And so as far as I'm concerned, I'll wait it out. Gary, in New York. Call me when you start. <laughs> do, do you think this will give you, like, do you think when it happens, you'll get excited about it? Oh, sure. You know what? I think that this whole mess that I've been dealing with here over the last few months would have been way more tolerable if I could have watched right. sports. You know, uh, I I didn't really want to watch much television for the past few months, but I've started to watch games that I maybe was at. I started to watch the Bundesliga, yeah. but I know I know why I'm watching it. There's only one team I'm watching, 
They're going to win it all here. And I'm watching because we've got an Edmonton kid. There you go. Who is unbelievable. Who, and this is my favorite part, when he signed in, in, uh, in Munich, I was talking to my cousin in Wales. I was telling him about this kid, Alfonso Davies, and my cousin never heard of him. Last time I talked to my cousin Hugh in Wales, he, uh, now because they're watching Bundesliga action, he's just raving about this kid. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm watching that. But yeah, if there was more sports on, I would, I think I'd be far less uh, focused on my plight. Hmm. But like I said, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. I'll be fine. I've been watching uh, Korean baseball. Uh, that's been kind of interesting. But on the Alfonso Davies note, uh, this, this is such an interesting story in that, uh, you know, one of the northernmost cities in Canada is uh, producing, who knows, uh, when it comes to Canadian soccer. Um, you know, is he uh, shooting up the ranks already? Yes. Uh, what does he become? Who knows? But, uh, you know, we've we've produced some pretty cool athletes, uh, and, and not just the mainstream sports. I mean, when it comes to bobsleigh and some and some skate figure skating and and skiing, Edmonton has produced some cool athletes. Where do you think Alfonso Davies ranks on this list right now? Well, he's moving up now. Are we talking about guys born here? Well, born and developed, either one or trained. Yeah. Well, you know the the thing is, soccer the shadow of soccer spreads around the world, and as I keep telling a thirteen year old in our house. Who loves the NBA? That's the only league for him. Uh, the Raptor victory was gigantic for him. Mm-hmm. But I keep telling him that you talk when you're talking about the biggest sport in the world, it's soccer. And so if this kid can keep going where he's going, he will. George St. Pierre, UFC. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a Canadian who is probably as well known as Wayne Gretzky around the planet. But times are changing too. The access, the access that people have through the internet, social media, is pushing these guys to a level that a lot of athletes before them never ever could have imagined. So it's kind of hard to say, Dean. Mm-hmm. Okay, quickly. I know you're not doing line matchups and and uh, you know defense pairings yet, but Oilers Hawks in the playoffs has some cool history to it. Uh, not just oh, like it. you know, not just right now that we're going to see these two teams with McDavid, Drysital, Kane, and all the skill, but the history that these these two teams have in the playoffs it just conjures up some great fun memories of me watching TV in the basement at six fourteen Rideau Street in Brandon, Manitoba as a kid, lighting up Warren Skordinsky and those guys. Well, it's funny you should say this because uh, I, I was privileged to be at both the United Center and the Chicago Stadium. Mm. I was able to see and uh, broadcast. I broadcast two games from the uh, Chicago Stadium, and I always remember Kurt Keelback, the longtime legendary play-by-play voice on radio and TV in Winnipeg, said in his very deep voice that I'll never get to right now. He said, Brinster, make sure you're up there for the anthem. Yeah. And uh, it was a real special place. I still remember uh, it was the 1990 playoff run, the cup, the last cup win for the Oilers. And it, I think it was game five or six. I can't remember which one, but Mark Messier was a one-man wrecking crew at the Chicago Stadium. Now, we were sitting right in the middle of the crowd. That's where the auxiliary press box was. And I remember sitting next to Lisa Miller, a longtime television uh, reporter for CTV or CFRN. And she and I were watching Mark, and he was just a, he was on a tear. 
at the stadium. And the people in front of us were just raving about Mark Messier. And, uh, and that's my favorite Oilers Chicago game. You know, and uh, when you can shut up that crowd yeah. the way he did, I don't think there's an untouchable one. But an Oilers-Blackhawk matchup, well, uh, goaltending-wise, okay, let's do it. Sure. Who's got the, who's got the better goaltender? Who would you feel more comfortable with? I would feel more comfortable with the uh, the Oilers goaltending. Uh, because and it, it's funny. They have depth. They, they do. They can flip. But as Craig McTavish told me in 1999, he, or sorry, 1990, he said, the most important change you can make on a playoff run is your goalie. You, because if you don't like the way a goalie played on one night and you come back with the other guy, you're going to ruin the confidence of the guy you pull. Yeah. And then if that guy has a bad night, then you got two goalies with no confidence and you're done. So if as long as they stick with one, I'm fine. If it's going to be Mike Smith, you right. run with him. If it's, if it's going to be Koskinen, you run with them. If they're going to flip goalies back and forth, Chicago's going to win that series. Well, they Corey sh- Crawford. Yeah, they, they shouldn't be flipping their backup either because that's what got the Oilers in trouble in 06. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, the problem, yeah, they, in 06, and I was at that game in Carolina when, when Rollison got a run over, and I'm thinking, these other two guys, and right then it was Conklin, yep. and it was UC Markkinen, and neither guy had the conference. UC came in and played really well. Brilliant. But I just wonder, uh, you know, there's a lot of what ifs if that injury doesn't happen. But anyway, I'm a little opposite to you uh, because I don't know why or if they'll be flipping their goalies. It doesn't sound like the kind of thing that the coaching staff in Edmonton would do right now. But Crawford, to me, is a fine goalie. Uh, If he gets into a groove, then I like Chicago. It's the Oilers net-minding. And they can find that one guy who can get it done without flipping back and forth. Then, uh, then I think the Oilers will win that series. Okay, so they've got they've got power matchups on the forwards, right? Right. Well, what do you do? You like which which blue line do you like better? Uh, right now, I like shockingly, I like the Oilers. Yeah. You know why? Because I think they're a little faster. They move the puck better, and there's a lot. I have so much respect for you know Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. And and the rest of their defense core, but I like the Oilers' speed there. I I think the Oilers can win that series, but it's going to be a going to be a long one. I think I like the Oilers' uh, experience on the blue line. Other than you know you you do have uh, you have Duncan Keith and and you have some other guys. I think uh, uh, I don't know what uh, Seabrook's uh, health situation is, but. Uh, I, the Oilers have a little bit more experience. You add in Mike Green. I thought Matt Benning was a lot better this year. So the depth. Uh, and then, I love, if, by the way, I, I love Ethan Bear, but they're playing him too much. Yeah, yeah, you got to roll these guys in. Just I thought they played Darnell Nurse too much last year when Clefbaum was injured too. But yeah, um, and then the forwards. I mean, you know, as much as the Oilers are talked about as uh, being a one man team, they really seem to spread things out with the Drysital Nugent Hopkins combination, and then adding some depth at the deadline um I, like i don't I, I don't think it's a uh it's close with the forwards when it comes to depth or top end talent on these two teams the biggest thing for me is will and desire and i know that lines three and four their goal is to chew time the clock right if you get a goal great but you gotta outgrind and outwork that it was frustrating for me to watch the oilers last season because when they played really well they were great they played really, really great. 
And that's because everybody knew what their role was. And it's the old thing, know your role. Uh, when the lines three and four start to be like lines one and two, uh, that's when that's when they had problems. So I, I don't know. It'd be I think it'd be a great series. I think it'd be pretty evenly met. That and the Winnipeg Calgary series would be the best too. Yeah, I think I'm just looking forward to this Oiler team. Like you know what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. You got to get hot. Ask the St. Louis Blues, right? Like they got hot at the right time and kept it going. And this team, this Oiler team, has the potential to run hot when when you have uh, flying McDavid, the way Drysaddle played, who probably should win the Hart Trophy this year, even though he's playing with the best player in the game. They have the ability to run hot. They also, as they showed, have the ability to lose in five games, maybe, or something like that. So, uh, I like I think this team can, you know, you look a couple of years back when they didn't have this much depth. Now you give the best player in the game, in my opinion, depth in the playoffs. I think he can do a lot of things with that with that supporting cast. The other thing, Dean, that you got to recognize is that Stanley Cups generally aren't won by the first two lines. Right. They're won by line three and four. If line three and four can contribute offensively, uh, through hard work, you can go a long way. Uh, they, if you take a look at those Oilers teams back in the 80s, it's when they added those depth guys on lines three and four that they won. They couldn't just win with Messier or Gretzky. You know, they needed to have guys on the third and the fourth line. I still think one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest trades for me was they got a guy named Willie Lindstrom out of Winnipeg. Mm. Willie gave them a guy who knew the game defensively but he could score some goals. So all of a sudden, more pressure off of the top two lines. And, uh, you know, uh, I, to me, I, the, the secret and success of the Edmonton Oilers is not anything but the bottom six. If they get better bottom six players, they will be a better hockey club. And if the goaltending is solid. Uh, I don't worry about the first two lines now. I think the first two lines are killer, mm-hmm. both of them. Well, that's Glenn Sather was always tinkering with those 80s teams and always adding different oh, yeah. pieces, whether it was a Peter Klima or, or somebody else. Um, Bryn, when we do see NHL again, we're going to hear Chris Cuthbert uh, doing uh, national games again. I, I don't know how they're going to split up the Cuthbert-Jim Houston uh, situation and who gets uh, the, the top games, but I'm just glad that we're going to be seeing Chris Cuthbert doing national games. You would have saw him if you had the NHL package doing some of the regional games and some NBC games, but in Canada... He belongs doing national games. I, I, I've been expecting this since October. I'd heard a rumble way back in October that this was coming, that his contract was up. Now, you and I both know Chris pretty well. Now, I, I text back and forth with him on occasion, and uh, I, I asked him about it, and he said he was really looking forward to this Grey Cup. Hmm. Well, he's done, he's done more now than Don Whitman. Uh, so he's now done more breakup games than any other broadcaster. But for so I, I thought, okay, so what's he telling me? If he's re- if he's really looking forward to this great cup, he, he said he was more nervous about this one than a lot of other ones. Not as nervous as he was when he did his first one, but it just I could get I was getting that vibe that something up. And uh, anyway, I'm shocked that it went this long. Uh, he's got a home in Phoenix, Arizona, and Toronto. I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, because Jimmy Houston seems to be very content in Toronto. I will bet. I would bet you dollars to donuts you're going to see uh, you're going to see Chris probably doing the Western games. But I, I, that's just my spidey senses. 
Mm-hmm. And that way he can travel if they ever get the border thing solved. Yeah. He's so good uh, at uh, baseball. Oh, yeah. and, and I love Jim Houston too. And, and, and like, I think Jim Houston is uh, spectacular. We're, we're really blessed uh, in Canada to have uh, some tremendous broadcasters, not in just hockey, obviously, as, as Chris has pointed out in football, but Dan Schulman in, in baseball. And uh, yeah. it, it's, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking about some of the best uh just pure NHL broadcasters of all time. For me, Bob Cole is number one on the list, and Chris Cuthbert isn't far behind. No, the other thing, too, and this is just veering slightly, which is what I tend to do in these interviews, <laughs> uh, is I saw somebody did their talk. They're Mount Rushmore play-by-play guys. Sure. Uh, Canadian guys. Well, Bob Cole's there. Yeah. Chris Cuthbert is there. Uh, i got to think Danny Gallivan's got to be up there. Okay. Uh, but the problem is, the people who are adding to the list probably weren't born until the 90s. I've been around a long time to see a lot of guys. If you start looking back at your top 10 all-time sports moments, Canadian sports moments, right. you know who's number one on that list? Don Whitman. Mm-hmm. Don Whitman comes up everywhere. Olympics. He Olympics. Said he's never mentioned. Uh, yeah, well, I, to me, sports changed for me in 1988. And I remember I was doing a play-by-play game in Moose Jaw at the old Civic Center, my good buddy Rob Carney, and we stopped to turn to the TV to watch Ben Johnson race. Yeah. And and a lot of people, of course, they had their Sony Walkmans on at the arena, and everybody kind of turned to to watch. So what I ended up doing, I guess I shouldn't say this, but I ended up doing play-by-play of the race to the crowd. <laughs> and uh, when Ben crossed that finish line, after all we've been hearing from, I think it was Carl Lewis. Yeah. Was it Carl Lewis or Carl Lewis, Michael yeah. Johnson? Anyway, um, it was such a proud moment. Very, very proud moment. Don Whitman doing the play-by-play. And then sports lost a lot of its luster for me two days later when we found that it was, uh, that it was enhanced. And then from that point on, now I always got to go, is it legal? Is mm-hmm. it legit? But you, Don Whitman's done curling. Done he, until recently, had done more Great Cup games than anybody else. He was, and you're right, track and field. He and Jeff Cowan were great. Were a great team in the broadcast booth. He's never mentioned. But uh, but as for Chris, Chris's golden goal is going to be one of those moments that we'll never forget. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the the crazy thing about that, well, we all know it now about that 88 is that everybody was doping and Ben, was, ben Johnson was the only guy that, that was uh, caught. Yeah. He was dumb enough. Yeah. Bad, bad doctoring. Um, yes. Okay. So we know what's happening uh, with the NHL. Uh, we know what's happening with the NBA. Uh, they're getting their, their situation going. What do you think about the, the situation with Major League Baseball? You have owners and players fighting over millions during not just a pandemic, but civil unrest in that country. It just, it's, you know what, you know, the phrase that comes up to me is read the room. Like you're, you're, you're arguing over this stuff while businesses are going under. Yeah, it, exactly. And a lot of your sponsors aren't coming back. Uh, I don't see baseball come back at all this year. I know they keep saying that they're going to try and they're not going to use their big guys or anything, but, I just, you know, so you can only do so much harm to these sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it really bothers me when I see the harm come from the inside out. Uh, so, uh, and, and quite frankly, I'm a Montreal Expo fan. And I, I, you know, watching the Blue Jays win the World Series, 
was very exciting for me, but hurt. Uh, and so when the Expos ended up moving to Washington, I moved away from baseball. I still watch baseball in the playoffs because I think the playoffs and the World Series is the, is it, it's so compelling and so much fun to watch. That's the only time I watch baseball now. Mm -hmm. So these guys can keep chirping about how much they're making at a horrible time. And you're right. Read the room is bang on. I really don't care. Well, the and, now, and, now, and now that I'm not a broadcaster, really, other than podcasting, and I don't go down the MLB route very much anymore because my interest level is diminished, uh, you know, I'll wait for their playoff runs. You know, it's funny. Since I left radio, my interest in, in talking baseball has gone up so much because I, I want it. I love baseball so much. But, you know, when you're you're on the radio, you talk what is going to generate you ratings and, and, you know, what's expected. So we didn't get to do a lot of Major League Baseball talk. Now I have an entire podcast dedicated to it. So I, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm, I love talking about it, but I am ashamed at what's going on. And the, 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 the party that I put, you know, 90% of the blame on is the owners. I mean, in March, the players agreed to prorated salaries. And now the owners are coming back saying we, got, we need a new deal. Like, listen, 29 out of 30 teams are worth at least a billion dollars. 29 out of 30 teams made money last year. Now you're, yeah. you're coming back to the players and saying we need a new deal. Well, they're the owners. They can do whatever they want. But there's a collective bargaining agreement in place. They've got to try to follow but Dean, since January and since this COVID, I just think the game change is immense. Mm -hmm. I just don't know if we're going to see sports the way we saw it even six months ago be the same. Uh, and the other thing, too, people are starting to divert their attention away from sports to other things. Sure. Uh, you know, I was very saddened to read about what's going on at the Athletic where they're cutting back. Yeah. They've had to let some people go. And I think mostly that's because of the environment that's developed. But I think people just are, people are finding other stuff to do. And the question is, are they immediately going to jump back? Now, we've seen after hockey lockouts, Canadians don't care. They'll be right back on the hockey bandwagon. Mm -hmm. But uh, baseball, we only have one team in Canada. The jump back on board might be stronger in Toronto I'm not convinced it's going to be stronger anywhere else. Yeah, and after hockey, the sport people might jump back onto is basketball right now in Canada because of the success of the Raptors and, and yeah. things like that. Um, uh, what do you think about uh, them handing out, uh, whether it's a Stanley Cup, a Larry O'Brien Trophy, a World Series, maybe not by them, but who knows, without any fans in the building, will it matter to you watching the game with no crowd noise? Yes, I have been struggling watching Bundesliga action hmm. with no crowd noise. So uh, so I'm hoping that we get to a point that by the time, this NHL thing's August at the earliest, uh, in my estimation. we got a long way to go. The Alberta government's listing it's, they're going into the next stage hmm. earlier than expected. Uh, so I don't really know uh, how fast, and uh, you know, the, the key is the border you got to get that border crossing open. And I'm not really in a rush for that based on what I'm seeing or hearing out of the U.S. right now. So I don't know. I think that's going to slow things up a little bit. But uh, uh, I, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Right? You know, the, the Raptors are talking about playing in the U.S. Yep. Well, they're all, they're guess, all playing at Disney. It, it, exactly. But, you know, where the Blue Jays are going to play in Dunedin, their season yep. was going to open in Dunedin. And I'm going, I don't know. It's just so whack. Everyone talks about, and I use the, the quotey fingers, the new norm. 
and people are very dismissive of it, but we are going down a new road here. Yeah. So it's definitely going to be a new road. I had tickets for Roger Waters at Roger's place, and uh, I don't know when there will be concerts again with uh, even, you know, like what's Roger's place, like 18,000? So what are you going to have, like 7,000 people now at concerts? And you have the, the, this, like, I don't know what concerts, I don't know what sporting events, I don't know what any of it's going to look like in person. Um, but I think we, we get started with, uh, TV and then, then go from there. We, you know, I, I don't want them to rush back, but we do need no. that, that entertainment and that distraction. So it's a balance. Safety first. I always say, mm-hmm. uh, safety ahead of the score. Good so point. once again, toy, de- toy department of life, I'm just going to have to go to menswear for a while. Here we go. Uh, and actually, yeah, actually I do have to go to menswear now because I've lost about a hundred pounds in the last year. Uh, mostly because of this cancer, especially in the last six months. So uh, menswear might not be a bad stop for me. There you go. Uh, my mom used to uh, try to, to joke and stay positive when she was going through treatments and say Keller's a, ca- cancer's a hell of a way to lose weight as it does take its uh, toll. I know. Uh, what to ask you about podcasting. It's what I do. It's what you're doing. Uh, we'll get into kind of like the, the changing mat- landscape, but you got into uh, podcasting with The Outsiders. What do you love about this medium that is just growing like a weed, uh, it seems, right now? Well, you know, it's the one thing that is unfortunate about the timing of my cancer is that I I decided I was going to do a podcast and try to generate revenue out of it. I started to realize that is hard. Uh, So what I decided to do was to create a company that did podcast work for, for, for companies. And it's it worked great, and uh, I'm very fortunate because a lot of the clients that I have picked up, and they pay me to do their podcasts. So, so what I did was I took the normal. Uh, you and I were at a podcast convention in Calgary mm-hmm. almost a year, well, a year ago in July, and uh, and I just realized as I sat there, everybody's trying to do the same thing. I've got to reinvent the same, something off of the same thing. So for me, I went down a different road than you are. You're doing a great job with what you're doing. But for me, I, I thought it'd be more fun to be less a part of the podcast, but be more of the production of the podcast. And so uh, I, I could see the direction because companies want to do podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. They, they want to do, do podcasts. But the problem was I kept running into people and they kept telling me, I've always wanted to do a podcast, but I'm scared. Mm-hmm. So now I tell them, well, you don't have to be scared. I'm with you. Let's do it. But I'm fascinated by uh, this, but but I knew this was coming two or three years ago. It's the area that I was always fascinated by was how the business of radio wasn't figuring it out. And they still haven't. Like, I don't want to hear radio shows regurgitated as a podcast. Uh, I'm going to use Jay and Dan, who I, I know both guys, and I and I just love their style. But I don't want to hear them do uh, their show without it having an edge or a rawness about it, right? Oh my God, he can't say shit mm-hmm. or any other bad words on his podcast because then they can't run that on their on their feed on their website. I don't want. I don't care. I want to hear a real Dan and a real Jay talk to me like they were talking to me over a beer, not like they're just talking to me in a studio. Mm-hmm. So I, I like a raw, I like the rawness of podcasting when it's at its finest. 
And I, uh, I don't know about you, but that's just the way I am. Uh, so, but, but I think radio has been very slow on the uptake. They just take a block out of their show and they call it a podcast. I right. don't call that a podcast. I call that a replay. Right. You know, it's, it's so funny when I broke into broadcasting was in TV in, in 97 until 2013. And, and you know what it's like in TV, 30 seconds is a long time. Like you, you got 30 oh, seconds. Yeah. That seems like a long time. And then when I transitioned into radio and, and you know, you, you and Bob Stoffer helped me with that. And, and when I worked with Guy on the pipeline show, then you're like, uh, Oh, like 15 minutes. Wow. I could, I could talk to somebody for 15 minutes. Uh, you know, and then you, you, you get the tap from somebody like, you got to wrap it up. We got to get to, you know, this, this commercial or whatever, which pays the bills. And, and uh, my favorite thing about podcasting is to be able to do long form interviews. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about four hours. I'm not Howard Stern and I don't have, um, Paul McCartney uh, in studio to be able to do a four hour interview with that. But I like doing, you know, 30, 45 minutes, 60 minute interviews and, you know, talking a little bit about the matchup between the Blackhawks, but also talking about, you know, working in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan and, and getting to know people and really telling the stories. I loved when Drager was on my podcast and he told the story about almost quitting broadcasting back in uh, the eighties. The and when he was going between, he was at CKX and Brandon, he was taking a real estate course. Because he was going to quit the business. Now he's one of the best insiders in the country. I mean, that's the part I love about podcasting and, and you know, not being confined by a commercial break at the uh, end of this question. Yeah, it's all, you know what? You can never go wrong asking questions that you want an answer to. And like I said, what I like about the podcasting is that uh, you get to do that. There's no time constraints. Right. I, I The only time constraint is that Let's use Spit and Chicklets as an example. Spit and Chicklets is a is a is a great podcast, but I don't have to, I don't have two hours to listen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it means I got to come back three or four times to catch up. That that kind of pisses me off a little. Uh, I'd be I I'd like to listen to it in my car. Right. Like I, I just don't listen very much to radio in my car anymore. I see. I usually just drop down a podcast. Uh, my car is set up so that when I get in there, everything that I everything just downloads right into my, my vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, and the average commute in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada is 23 minutes. Now I'll listen to a podcast. that's an hour, two hours is a bit of a push for me. Their, their podcast is quite compelling. They get great people on, uh, but two hours is a little too hard for me. So I think there's some time constraints, but I, I, I think you've always still got to think about what is the listener want. Mm-hmm. but but I got to be happy with it at the end of the day. That's well, yeah, and, that, and that's the amazing thing is that, you know, I've had people say your podcast is too long, and then I've had people say two hours is too short. So it's just, uh, you know, there there is, but, but I think you're right, that 25 to 30 minute uh, kind of works with a lot of commutes. Now, you know, podcasting is something that when you decided you wanted to be a broadcaster, I don't think was, the, well, definitely wasn't a word, but your broadcasting career didn't start out at Western Canadian Broadcasting College like mine or Darren Drager's or Nate like so many others. Uh, it started out with you volunteering. Can, can you give us like the, the cold notes of you deciding, I'm going to be a broadcaster and, and how you went about it? Well, I always wanted to be one from probably grade seven to grade eight. But, you know, it, it's just a hobby at that point. Uh, after taking a few years off after graduating from high school, a friend of mine told me that I should volunteer 
at one of the cable companies in Edmonton. We had two back then. So I spent a year pulling cable and helping set up cameras. And, but it was fun. You're under the lights and there's a host and guests. And it was it was just a blast. Uh, wasn't being paid for it, but I didn't care. And then a year later, uh, I decided to do some volunteer work at the campus radio station, CJSR. So I was in volunteer work again. But the guy who basically told me to come on board and hire me was Morley Scott. <laughs> and, of course, Morley is the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Eskimos. A lot of people in this market have gone through either CJSR or the Gateway. Following year, Morley left, and I took his sports director position. It paid. <laughs> it paid me $800 a month. And my folks, I was still living at home. My dad says, go give it a shot. Don't worry about anything, you know. Uh, just take your 800 bucks and put it aside, and we'll, we'll, we'll back you. So, uh, so I did it. Uh, and I had a great group of guys around me. Uh, I talked Mark Spector into joining us. He was writing for the Gateway. I told Speck, I want you to be my basketball play-by-play guy. So hover around Don Horwood as long as you can. Find out as much as you can. And uh, it was fun. It was good to have him there. Gene Principe was in and out once in a while. Uh, Just trying to think. I know I'm going to forget somebody. But anyway, we we had guys who were just wanting to start like that. And then the following year, instead of getting all settled back in to doing another year of uh, Golden Bear Hockey. And by the way, if you can't stand at the front of the bus coming home on a long road trip from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, I spent hours standing in that front wheel well where the stairs are yeah. talking hockey to Claire Drake and Billy Moores. I learned more about hockey in that one year from from, uh, from Claire, who I never called Claire. He was always the coach. And Billy was also great. Uh, and then, anyway, so I was getting ready for year two. And they suddenly needed a play-by-play voice in Moose Jaw to do Moose Jaw Warrior games in the Western Hockey League. Well, it's time for me to move out. Time for me to move. I, I'd gotten to know all the media guys in Edmonton. One guy had mentioned my name to the general manager, Stan Ravendall, in Moose Jaw, and they hired me. They liked my enthusiasm and my positivity. And within three weeks, I was doing Moose Jaw Warrior games with some little kid named Theo Fleury. <laughs> Kelly Bookberger was on the team. Mike Keen, oh my goodness, uh, Lyle Odlin played on the team. And you, anyway, did it, it, and you did it in the Crushed Can, which is maybe the most unique hockey arena I've ever been in. My broadcast location, I could see the ice rink, the crowd in front of me, but the dip of the, the building, yeah. I could only just see the benches on the other side. When but I did, man, what it, oh, it's a great building to do a game out of. Oh man, when I did, uh, when I worked in Regina, I would go out there for a lot of games and, and the same thing. And then Red Deer would roll through, and I would do color for Cam Moon. I couldn't even see the scoreboard from where we were. I'm like, how do you do games here when you can't see anything? It was, it was just a, a mar- now the new place I heard is gorgeous, but it, it 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 had character. That's for sure. That building had character. In the winter, as you know, in Saskatchewan, the wind will blow. Yeah. When the wind used to blow there, the roof used to go up and down because <laughs> it was suspended. Anyway, it was um, it was just a pleasure to do games in there for almost five years. Uh, Rob Carney, who replaced me, uh, came on in my second or third year, and I loved working with Rob. He was fantastic. But through that time, I was being uh, I was being tutored by Kurt Keelback in Winnipeg. Legend. 
yeah, just brainstorm, work on this, work on this. And uh, it's, it, he always talked about word edit. The less you say, the better you'll be at saying it. Uh, you don't have to be, you don't have to repeat. Like, here's Flurry at the blue line. Flurry, well, I already established Flurry's at the blue line. Mm-hmm. Don't have to say his name twice. Gives you a chance just to t- take a little breath. Uh, he just taught me a lot of great tricks. Uh, and anyway, but I keep, my father passed away. And so I decided that I, I'd better get home. K97 hired me and, and, uh, and it was great, but I stayed for a year and a half. And then sure enough, Kurt and CKY phoned did a one year contract for me to come and, uh, work for the Jets in community relations and do color on the radio broadcast. And I went, you know what? I, I can't pass that up. It's one mm-hmm. chance to travel around the league, even no. though we flew commercial. Yeah. You know, like everybody was still doing that. You mentioned him a while back, but John Sexsmith gave me that tip when I got to Global Edmonton, and we we were working, and he he called it word economy, right? You know, like you yeah. you, you you you're especially in TV now, podcasting, talk radio, um, you're you're filling a lot of time, but in T yeah, exactly in in TV you. Your word economy, because you, like I said, only have 30 seconds. So it, it's great advice. And uh, working with the legend Kurt Kilback, I grew up in Brandon, uh, would drive to jet games uh, whenever the Oilers would come to town. Did not like Grant Fear my whole life because every time I went to Winnipeg, he played instead of Andy Moog. And Moog is my favorite goalie. So I grew up not liking Grant Fear. Then then I get to meet him, and he's probably the nicest guy you're going to meet. But Kurt Kielbach, what was that like working with um, a, a guy I still think should be calling games? Well, Kurt was and still is a great guy. Uh, and, and uh, you know, with Kurt, it was real simple. You did the game, and then the two of you, maybe a hanger on or two, you had to go for a beer after the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the home games, we knew where the fridge was in the media lounge, right. and we used it. And then we'd go our separate ways. Didn't talk a lot uh, away from the game, but uh, but man, it was just so much fun. You learn a lot just by watching. And because I didn't have any schooling for broadcasting, I learned by watching others. Uh, and uh, you know, and you take what you like. Uh, I had two general managers when I was in Moose Jaw, Stan Ravendahl, who I grew up listening to on Chad, great newsman, very authoritative pipes. Stan taught me the basics. Then Stan and the general manager in Edmonton flipped. Stan went to Edmonton, and the new GM came from Edmonton to Moose Jaw. His name was Vern Trail. And Vern was different from Stan. Vern was about, okay, you got the basics down. Now I want to start to hear you. And the moment he said, uh, he called me down after a morning show. He said, let's go down the Chinese restaurant underneath the radio station uh, called the Modern Cafe, and it wasn't modern. <laughs> but we but we would go down, and we he says, let's go down for breakfast, champ. And so uh, we went down for breakfast, and he says, I didn't hear you today. What happened in sports? And I started talking. I said, well, you know what? I just started rattling off what I remembered. And he leaned over the table, and he said to me, can you write it like that? And I went, I, I kind of recoil back a little. And I said, what do you mean? Can you write it the way you would tell it to me? Not the way I, he says, I don't want to hear you reading Wirecock. Right. I want you to tell it to me because then I'm going to see your and hear your personality. And I want you to start doing that in the hockey games. Start having fun in those hockey games. 
I got into trouble with the Warriors Board of Governors because we were, I think it was the Pats, the Saturday night game, the Pats were playing. They were killing the Warriors in the first period. It was like, I think it was like 7-1. And we're all starting to lose our interest in this game. And I was hungry, and I turned to Rob Carney. I said, are you hungry? And Rob goes, what are you talking about? He says, well, I know they got us on at Western Pizza. Well, let's order a couple pizzas like this. So we ordered a, a ham and pineapple and a pepperoni pizzas, and we doubled it up. We said, well, give the Regina Media guys some pizza down the hall here. I said, but let's have pizza. You, if you guys got that, you got my number, phone me. Phone, you know, the, uh, the, phone, the phone on the wall rang, and they said, we'll be right there. And then right in the middle of the second period, they came up the stairs. They waited till the game restarted, and they waited till the action was going, and then two pizza delivery guys came up the stairs and delivered our pizza. Well, the Warriors the organization, not the players, not the GM, I think it might have been Barry Trapp at the time, uh, or Greg Quisley was coaching, uh, they thought it was hilarious. but And so did the fans, but the Board of Governors thought I was making fun of their product, which at 8-1, uh, you don't need me to make the team look bad. But, that, but, but we were given free reign and green light to do whatever we wanted. Sarah and Flurry, who, I, uh, who I'm still in contact with, Theo has, we all have our own little word crutches. And Theo's was the words, you know. He would say, you know, more than anyone, you know. That would, so we decided one day to have a little bell every time he said, you know. We told him we were going to do it. We just didn't tell him which game. And, of course, he was the star most nights, so he was always on the post-game show. And this one night, we just keep hitting this little button, which rang a bell. And you could hear him start to get more pissed off and more frustrated. But they gave us freedom to David Letterman it up. And, uh, and so for my style of broadcasting, if it's the Toy Department of Life, I am not going to treat it like it's a space shuttle launch or, it's, right. uh, or something serious. This is, we're in a hockey game. Let's have some fun. So uh, the, 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 the good old Wusha uh, Civic Center provided me with a lot of that. Uh, like I still have a real soft spot uh, for, for the city of Musha and the fans are just great. I always say sports are fun until somebody dies and then it becomes news and, and it's not sports anymore. It becomes a, a very serious thing. Um, okay, so it's interesting. You, you've seen a lot of the changing landscape when it comes to media. I mean, you know, Marty Forbes approaching you to say, I want to do an all talk radio station. And I remember driving the first time I heard it after I moved to Edmonton, I'm driving. I'm like, wow, this is it. Cause I, I had driven out to Calgary at one point and listened to Jim Rome on uh they they had it simulcast and I thought, wow, this is cool. Cause from Brandon, we didn't have anything like that. So you've seen that sports talk radio start to take off. Um, hasn't taken off uh nationally yet with that uh you know that one that you know how you guys started with that national network yeah. um but what was that like getting like the talk radio uh i guess landscape going in canada wonderfully awful <laughs> because you don't have a you don't have a budget you know uh we were using a network called the team out of toronto uh i can't it was out of toronto but they had stations in montreal toronto I don't think they had one in Winnipeg. They had Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. I'm sure I'm missing Anne Halifax, maybe. But when we jumped on board, and that would have been in June, 
they collapsed the network in September. Yeah. So Marty and I had to go. Well, we were told, we were told by by Standard Radio in Toronto, Gary Slate, another great guy of broadcasting, that he didn't want us to do it. We were going to go from oldies to this talk format. He wasn't a believer in it. And so he, uh, but he loved Marty. So he went along with it. So we decided to try it. But when the network went down, we went, well, we've got to localize this up a bit. But we had no money to do it. So myself and Jake Daniels, we followed a format that U.S. markets love. And that was to have a, a sports, a traditional sports guy, which in that case was me, and put somebody who is a little more offbeat with him. Well, the thing about Jake, Jake loves sitting in the seats. He hated the press box. He's a fan. He didn't want to, he didn't want to deal with the media guys because he thought the media guys were always negative. But he wanted to, so we talked ourselves into being the voice of the fan. And so we let people talk and say how they felt. Uh, both the football club and the hockey club. The hockey club was leery. The Eskimos didn't like us at all. I had a meeting with Hugh Campbell and Dave Jameson, ironically. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the meeting was, where they, they, Hugh was trying to press me to tone it down a little. And I said, well, you have, you've got the one station, Chad, at that time. They're doing everything you want. But we're just letting your fans, it's good market research for you, Hugh. Uh, we were going to let them say whether or not they liked the way you played tonight or didn't. And I didn't go over very well with you, but I didn't back down, and we stayed that way, and it kept building. About six months later, all we did was morning, morning, a morning local show, mm-hmm. and then we ran ESPN Radio the rest of the day and Jim Rome. Six months later, I convinced Marty we needed an afternoon show. And we also had Bob McCowan's primetime sports on, part of our contract so we could get NFL games for free, the uh, World Junior games for free, because Bob had to run in our market from four to five, which, of course, I hated because it meant no afternoon show. Right. So Nelson Millman, uh, the longtime programmer there, somehow Marty had talked him into, can we run it at six or seven? It's prime, that's prime time, dinner time in Edmonton, and I want to get a guy that I know to do the afternoon show. His name was Bob Stauffer. Who I've known, I've known Bob for years, and I went, okay, he's uh, he can be controversial. He's a freaking walking encyclopedia. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not going to get along with everybody on the air, which I love in a good talk radio host or off the air, which is you know, a, a passionate, and passionate man. Bob lets it all hang out. That's which right. Is, which is how I like. I like my talent to be able to go against the waves sometimes. Anyway, so. Marty wasn't sure, but we did it. So uh, we did that. And then in the evening, I, 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 I've always been keeping tabs on Jason Greger. And we moved Jason into the evening show. So now we had a morning show, a drive show, and a late night show. And then when Bob left, and I knew that was coming uh, before it actually came, because when Daryl Cates took control of the Edmonton Oilers, the first thing he said at the podium was, I'm happy we got this done so I don't have to take calls from Bob Stoffer anymore. Right. And I turned to Marty, and I we were listening to the press conference on, our, on the station, and I said to Marty, I said, we're going to lose Bob. Hmm. And so, but I wasn't worried because we had Jason. Anyway, we built it slowly, and over the eight years that I was there, it's probably, like I said, it was frustrating at times. Like we didn't, we wouldn't stream for the first two years 
on the internet because we didn't want Toronto to hear it. Why? Because we didn't want because they were against it anyway. We didn't want we didn't want constant feedback from Toronto and saying, you know what, just go back to oldie. Oh yeah, so yeah, what, yeah. I know. So what, you what we're doing is we and that was smart on Marty, but Marty's a pretty smart programmer and a general manager. He knew exactly what he was doing. It was frustrating for me because the listeners wanted to be able to listen it listen online. Yeah. But anyway, um, eventually Toronto went, oh, okay, we like what you're doing. And we just kept rolling with it as long as Standard owned it. And and it was, uh, like I said, frustrating because you never really got the big rock and roll money budget-wise. So we had to economize. So that was the tough part about it. But it's the career highlight for me. Keeping that station on the air was really tough. The The interesting thing about that situation now is that that Edmonton station you know, at least when I was working there, was the the really the lone TSN radio entity that was making money a- across the chain. Still led to cutbacks, and you know led to me uh, doing this now. But that format has uh, you know it's the most successful TSN station across Canada uh, in that format, and and you were the beginning of it. Well, a couple of things. One, what they call a QM audience number, it hasn't changed an awful lot. There's anywhere from thirty to 40,000 dedicated sports fans in the city of Edmonton who, who listen to the station. Uh, it was that way when I was there. It's still that way. The key is to get them listening longer, mm-hmm. right? And they are. And that's great. Dustin's done a great job with the morning show. And, and Gregory. I mean, it's, it's just continued along. The last, when I was being let go because of management changes, uh, two things. When I was burned out, I was programming and it was doing the morning show i had nothing left right so i actually was quite pleased that my run had ended because there was nothing more i could have done with the money i was given i when i heard the budget they gave the other guys after i left i was i was upset because i went oh my god what we could have done with that right but i um i i was i was i was content i didn't think i could do any more with what i had done i was pretty much i was pre- pretty much bagged but I, uh, I, I heard Ryan Rashog on with Dustin not long ago, and Dustin referred to me as the godfather of the radio station. I can't tell you how proud I was to hear that, because the one thing I told the new management guys when they came in and they let me go, they said, do you have anything you want to say? Which was ballsy to say in the first place. I said, yeah, please do me a favor. Don't fuck this up. Yeah. It, we're getting momentum going. Keep going. Nobody would be happier to hear it keep getting it stronger and more than me. I was ready for new change and a new new thing. And, uh, and But I, I would say that the, taking that gig from Marty's and running that thing for eight years under the circumstances where it was touch and go like every day mm-hmm. is, is my career highlight. All right, let's uh, wrap up on this. You also spent five years with the Oilers. Um, not in the broadcast capacity, but working with the, the team and the players. When you look back on that, what do you think? What memories come to mind? Well, it was the five years before I did the Sports Talk Radio. Uh, when you get a chance to see how it really works, when you have the curtain pulled back and you get right in there, like when you're able to sit in the room on trade deadline day with the GM and a bunch of the scouts and listen to the conversations on a speakerphone, it's like, wow. Fan, you know, and some of those trades, so it's not like people just pick up the phone and make a trade. Right. Some of those trades are, are like in a, 
they've been talking about that deal for six months. Yeah. So you get a chance, and that's just one example of, you know, or being at the draft at the table and recognizing that once they've made, stepped up to the microphone and made their announcement on who they're taking, and then then there's an incredibly, and of course, my job was to run the gauntlet with the player, either me or my boss, Bill Tawilly. Bill took the first guy, I take the second guy, and you do all the pictures for all the hockey cards, and you do the media accessibility. You get back to the table, and you might have another half hour before it's your time to make the pick. Yeah. They already know who they want to take. So, you know, the, you know, you sit down at the table, and, of course, people see a picture of that table, and everybody's talking, and they think, talking strategy. I still remember one conversation. People didn't like the lunch, the bag lunch. <laughs> You know, it was too much mustard on those sandwiches today. Yeah. The, you know, so the fan it, thinks it, they're talking about trading for Joe Newendike. Here they are talking about too much mustard. Exactly, or too much ketchup on that, or the chips seemed a little stale. You know, and then, of course, as you're getting closer to your pick, then they start to dig in a little bit. Somebody, uh, with Sean Draper there, Sean, of course, was very good. So we knew exactly where we were and who was available. You didn't have to be constantly talking about it. But to see how things worked, away from how my perception as a fan or a broadcaster was, was just day and night. I loved it. But when I went to this talk radio format, um, it was scary. Scary for the hockey club because they go, God, he's got insider information on, <laughs> on stuff. May not, may not be player driven, but he knows how the, how the clock ticks. Right. So I tried to bring some of that on the air. And, and I still see people, uh, doing these crazy projections on on trades and thinking, well, why don't they suddenly do Chances are they've talked about it. General managers are at least a month ahead of where fans are every single time. I guarantee you when a fan is pitching something online, it's been already been talked about a month ago. Somebody's already talked about it. And then, of course, the other thing you've got to recognize with sports is it's driven by math. It's all about financial. You know, you can make these crazy, but the math don't work, nothing else works. That's right. Yeah. Right? So, anyway, it, that, that was a great experience for me. Also, to uh, deal with the media was, uh, was, was different. I remember actually getting mad at your brother once because he was pushing me on something. Shocking. Uh, I, <laughs> uh, and I think I may have told him, I said, look. And when I use the words look or listen, that usually is an indicator I'm pissed off about something. But he, he, was, he handled it great. But I just could finally got to a point where I realized that you, you just got to go at your pace, not the media's pace. I'm surprised you only had one running in the 20 minutes he lived in Edmonton at, uh, at Global well, I, before he And moved. it was fine. He was fine. It wasn't a problem. But he just, you know, he, he was competitive. Still love him to this day uh, anytime wow. we communicate. But he, uh, he's got an edge about him, but we all do. Well, if That's you're not competitive in this business, you're not going to be in this business for very long. Like non-competitive no. people don't last long in, in major markets. No. And the other thing too, is that when you're on radio or television, well, let me just stay with radio. I wasn't in TV long enough to generalize like this in radio. You're a slave to the clock. Right. And podcasting, we've touched on this. You're a slave to your content. Yep. Your content drives you, not the clock. In radio, it's the opposite, which is why you and I are enjoying and having so much fun doing podcast work. Yeah. 
It's why I had so much fun with this conversation today. First and foremost, just to be able to touch base with you, uh, find out that uh, you're still feeling positive in this fight that you're in. And uh, I'm looking forward to maybe doing this again after the Stanley Cup playoffs, whenever that might happen. Absolutely. Anytime you want to. That's uh, another carrot on a stick for me. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Got nothing to drink. How do you smile? No longer a Uh, so much enjoyed that conversation with Bryn, uh, sending out positive vibes uh, to you, Bryn. I know uh, you have it in this, uh, have it in you to get through this once again and be back on the podcast airwaves. Uh, looking forward to hearing more uh, of the outsiders uh, as you guys continue it. And, and I loved hearing uh, I Got Time because I always have time for a guy like Bryn who always had time for me. And that was I Got Time by Sweet But Jesus that we heard coming out of that interview. The official band of Sports and More, the podcast. Check out their debut album, Policeman's Creek, on Apple Music. All right, the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. You own the game uh, with the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. Five franchises still available. Uh, Check out the information at www.uffsports.com. So on this day in 1988 in Germany, Bloodsport came out. I absolutely loved this movie. Uh, The Kumite, the Chung Li chants that getting on, like all the different kind of fighters. I just... I was blown away by this movie and I watched it over and over again. So it came out on this day. So uh, I ask you on Twitter at Duck Millard, who's the better martial arts movie star, Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal? 82% right now in favor of Bloodsports Jean-Claude Van Damme. I got to agree. That's who's getting my vote. Steven Seagal just getting 18% of the votes. You can have your say at Duck Millard. Our poll question from last week, who do you uh, side with the owners of the players when it comes to Major League Baseball? Uh, Players winning that one, 62% uh, of Twitter uh, listeners and uh, Twitter followers of mine voting on that one. So have your say in the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question at Duck Millard, better martial artist, movie star, Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal. And as mentioned, more details at uffsports.com. And finally, a new segment we're doing here, and I put this up on Twitter at Doc Millard as well, the perfect player. So the premise here is you take three players, put them together to make the perfect player. We're going to do all kinds, uh, all kinds of sports, all kinds of specific teams, positions. Today, we're drilling down on Oilers defensemen. If you had to make the perfect Oil, the perfect defenseman out of anybody that has worn the Oilers jersey on the blue line, who would it be? Well, for me, it's Paul Coffey, it's Chris Pronger, and it's Kevin Lowe. Uh, you have the best skater, um, and I didn't see Bobby Orr, uh, unfortunately, live, uh, but I did see Paul Coffey. So you have the best skater that I've seen since 
Connor McDavid uh, in in the game. But the best skating defenseman was Paul Coffey for me. Chris Pronger, in the short time I got to see him as an Oiler, just controlled the game so many in so many ways. It was amazing, and he just you know along with some really good players, uh, he he carried the Oilers to the Stanley Cup final. It would have been interesting if they won game. Seven and Dwayne Rollison had been healthy, who the Conn Smythe would have been. But if uh, the Oilers won, won game seven, it was Pronger, in my opinion. Uh, he just controlled the play so much and uh, was just so calm and had such an impact on the game. And, and Kevin Lowe was just so tough and dirty. And that's a compliment. He had no problem tattooing uh, the Sherwood or Louisville or whatever stick he was using on your back in front of the net in the corner, getting his stick up. Um, was uh, such a linchpin on those five Stanley Cups and just an amazing, amazing player. Um, you know, and did some good work. You know, and until uh, recently, uh, probably was the best GM that the Oilers had since Glenn Sather. And I know a lot of people hate a lot of stuff that Kevin Lowe did as management type, but as a player, he was tough as nails. So for me, it's coffee, pronger, and low for my perfect Euler defenseman. Hit me up on Twitter at Duck Millard. Let me know what your perfect player is when it comes to Euler's defenseman. Big thanks to Bryn Griffiths of uh, his podcast crew, uh, The Outsiders, for joining me. Longtime Edmonton broadcaster, uh, fighting against stomach cancer and... Uh, doing well with it i love the outlook i love the positive outlook i love the th you know prolong your life for three to five years and maybe there's a cure in that time instead of just thinking of it as a death sentence or curing it uh, beautiful beautiful stuff Bryn. really really pushing and uh, giving positive vibes uh to you for that to you the listener thank you mo so much for joining me i hope you enjoyed this show if you did please subscribe and leave us a review that is really helpful for us uh, to get this rolling and if you'd like to be a part of the show as a guest or an advertiser email me sports and more pod at gmail.com talks a lot of hockey today so let's go out with pele a tribute to the late great pele Lindbergh from sweet bejesus playtime is over
out of 26.